You can turn to First John. We're going to be in First John. Um, we started that last week. We're in the second week of a series called Love Like Jesus. Isn't it amazing how far people will go to point out somebody else's problem? Oh, y'all don't do that. Do you know how many tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of even millions of dollars are spent every year in courtrooms because people have drawn lines and will not budge? Just to, just to prove, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the other person was clearly wrong. Um, it's probably too early in the message to jump right into marriage, but we're going to. Marriage is a great example, right? Like you kind of get your side and they get their side. And you're not, everything you, everything that happens in your marriage filters through that, right? So if you're pretty sure that your husband is lazy and a slob, then later on when you have kids and they leave a sock on the floor, you're sure your husband left the sock on the floor. And he could argue the whole, his whole life, no, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, but you're convinced it was him because you boxed him into that. Marriage is a great way we do that. Sorry, I had to bring it up. Culturally, we have frivolous lawsuits. We have silly clothing apparel. I, I've got, um, I was thinking about this. I think we've got maybe, do we have the first one? I'm, I'm with Stupid. You remember the I'm with Stupid shirts? Does anybody have an I'm with Stupid shirt? I'm just curious. Okay, good. Nobody's got one. Um, these were popular for a while, and I found a couple. They kind of took them to the next level. I like the, because with this one, you have to make sure you're on the right side of the stupid person, right? But if somebody got smart, and I think they put up two arrows, yeah. They're just, they're just covering their bases, right? And what that says is, no matter where I am in the world, I'm with stupid people. And then somebody took it to the ultimate level. I think this is great. Tombstones. I don't know if their last name's stupid or not, but I mean, when you're going to the grave saying stupid and I'm with stupid, that, that's going, I mean, that's as far as you can go. To make sure people know, for all of time, whoever comes to this cemetery, we just want to make sure you know they're the stupid one. It's amazing how far we'll go. My guess is that none of us here would ever actually go to the tombstone level, but this is the issue that John addressed when he wrote the letter that we now call 1 John. And it's still an issue today because people are still living. They are living, right? Do you need to check their pulse next to you? If people are living, this is going to be an issue all the time. People will always want to deflect problems away from themselves and onto others. And so John kind of writes that there's something that can happen in and to each one of us that can bring it in to the I'm with stupid mentality. Last week we learned that it all starts by being loved by Jesus. That when we're loved by Jesus, then we can love like Jesus. This week you're going to learn this. That when you're loved by Jesus, you start to love like Jesus. And when you start to love like Jesus, you love each other like Jesus. We're going to spend our time in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Let me just read it to you. This will be the quickest message you've ever heard me preach probably. Which means it will be under an hour. It was nervous laughter, wasn't it? Nervous laughter. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. Here's what John says. This is the message we heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie. 
and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. What do we learn right away from those three verses? Light is pretty important. I don't know what kind of experiences you've had in the dark. Uh, maybe we don't want to go there. But I can think of three, right off the top of my head, three experiences I've had in the dark that weren't good. One, I got dressed in the dark one time and put on pants filled with fire ants. Not good. Two, in the middle of the night, when, you know when you're, you can kind of get woken up and you don't really know what's going on, you're kind of drowsy, you can't see the clock. In the middle of the night, I petted, is that the right word, pet, petted? I petted a mouse that was dead. See, yeah, we're together right here, me and you, right? All of them are like, oh yeah, I pet dead mouse all the time. Well, y'all are sick, but we're normal, right? You're stupid, we're not. I petted a mouse in the middle of the night that was bloody and yucky and ugh. <laughs> then I threw it in the middle of the night. Anyway, um, third, and this was, this was in college, so college kids, you'll relate to this, sitting in a friend's um, dorm room, watching TV in the dark, eating Sweet 16 Donuts, which are the best donuts ever, right? Sweet 16 Donuts, just don't inhale or exhale when you do it, because, you know, <coughs> or you spit stuff out. But I'm eating Sweet 16 Donuts in the dark, and then I felt my mouth moving. Which, if you've had Sweet 16 Donuts, it's an experience, but not like that, right? Your mouth is not supposed to move. And I felt movement in my mouth, and I said, dude, quick, turn the light on. He turned the light on, and I don't know what it is with me and ants, but I looked in the bottom of that bag, and there were black ants covering the bottom of that bag, which meant they were in my mouth. So I was not, that's not, that's not a good experience. And none of that would have happened if I had just walked into his room and turned the light on before I started eating, right? I wouldn't have put on pants with fire ants, ants in your pants, <laughs> I get it. I wouldn't have done that if I had the light on. I would never, ever have touched a furry mouse that was dead and bleeding if I had the light on. Light is important. I know of a man, I served on staff with him and he used to tell this story. Now, the lights were on in the room but they were having a prayer meeting so his eyes were closed so that means it was dark. Only five people know that if you close your eyes it's dark so we need to try it right now, everybody close your eyes. I just picked my nose while you did that. Anyway, let's move on. In the prayer meeting, he's on the couch. And I don't know how some of you are, some of you are dainty prayers, right? Oh, dear, gracious, heavenly Father, we come before you, we beseech thee with words we don't even know what they mean, right? I get that. But he was, and there's nothing wrong with that, but he was not a dainty prayer. He was like one of the all-in, like hands, and you know, he's just, he's going after God. And he's, and he's, he's with his wife on the couch and he's rubbing her leg and he's praying and he's rubbing her leg and it's getting quieter in the room the louder he gets but he don't want to stop praying he keeps on going and when they said amen he opened his eyes and realized that was his pastor's wife's leg just in case you're ever in that moment let me give you a little tip Say amen and call it a night. Okay? The prayer meeting is over. Light is critical. And that's what John's telling us of all the things that can happen in the dark. 
We haven't even talked about the awkward things that can happen in the dark, but of all the things that can happen in the dark, there's one thing that can never happen in the dark. Fellowship. It can never happen in the dark. True Jesus-centered biblical relationships, unity, those things can never take place in the dark. So this kind of relationship, if it only happens in light, kind of begs the question, is we're going to try to answer today. If being in the light guarantees that we have fellowship with one another, how is it possible that so many of us have so many serious relationship issues? If being in the light, according to what we just read in verse 7, he said, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. Not we might, not we hope, we will have fellowship. If walking in the light guarantees fellowship, how is it that so many of us are so jacked up in relationships? Fair question, right? I can't speak for John. I wasn't there when he wrote the letter, although my son is telling me I'm getting old. I'm not that old. And I can still outrun you. Just making a statement from the pulpit with a microphone. I can't speak for John, but I will say this. I think I know the answer to the question. And it all lies in one simple word. This morning we're going to talk about the power of a preposition. <laughs> All you teachers are like, we know what a preposition is. I don't. Usually they're small, short words that are usually one syllable and I can handle those. Um, the power of a preposition. Let me tell you what the wrong preposition is and I'll tell you what the right preposition is and then either you're going to throw sharp objects at me or you're going to pray to Jesus. Those are your options. You ready? You got. If you have a note sheet, and I was told that we ran out and I'm really sorry that we ran out. Um, if you have a note sheet, here's the wrong preposition. Walking with the light. The wrong preposition is walking with the light. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We change the in to with. We say, I don't want to walk in the light. I'm going to walk with the light. And you're saying right now, that's stupid. That's just one simple word. What could that possibly do to change anything? And here's what it does. Here's what one preposition can do. When we walk with the light, we get to be in charge. When we walk with the light, we're in control. When we walk with the light, we decide where the light shines and who the light shines on. When we walk with the light, it opens the door for pride. It opens the door for religious condemnation. Uh, just hold your finger in First John. Turn to Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 3. I just flipped right past Matthew into the Old Testament. It's awesome. I'm a mad flipper. Matthew 7, 3. Jesus said this, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? I'll tell you why. Because you're holding the light. And you're making sure it shines squarely on what's wrong with your brother and making sure it never turns around and shines on what's wrong with you. One word. One preposition, all the difference in the world. We're guaranteed that if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. But if we walk with the light, we will never have fellowship 
with each other. Let me show you how this plays out in Scripture. We talked about this passage last week, John chapter 8. And while you're turning, if you want to, John chapter 8, we um, learned last week there was a woman. She was caught in adultery. The religious leaders of the day went into the house and caught her in the act of adultery. I'll let parents explain to kids later on what that means, but it's not pretty. It's embarrassing. So they drag her out into the street, they throw her down. Now because the religious leaders are walking with the light, they made sure that they got the woman and not the man. Because they got to control who they want to expose and who they don't want to expose. See what it does is, it opens the door for pride and religious condemnation. So they're able to say, oh, we take pride in who we are and we condemn who you are because we have the light. The men brought the woman to Jesus. They didn't bring the man. When they brought her to Jesus, Jesus, I love this. Jesus, according to John 1, 9, is the light of the world. So they bring this woman to Jesus, throw her down at his feet, and they shine the light on her. Look at that, Jesus. She's terrible. Can, are you getting all that, Jesus? See that? Hey, get your light too. So I'll just make sure Jesus can see how nasty and skanky and bad this woman is. And Jesus, because he's John, John 1 says he's the light, he starts to shine the light too. And the Bible says that he bends down, starts to write in the dirt, and nobody knows what he wrote. I heard a guy one time that had a theory about what he wrote, and I think it's a pretty good theory, because if you read the story, what you'll find is that he starts writing in the dirt, and they start to leave one by one, the oldest to the youngest. So whatever he wrote in the dirt got their attention enough that they dropped their rocks and went, mm, I'm out of here. And this guy kind of, he threw this theory out there. He said, I don't know what he wrote, but my guess is he wrote the names of their girlfriends. Makes sense to me. Clara. Oh, I'm out. From the oldest to the youngest. Because basically what he said was, he who is without sin cast the first stone. What it actually means in the Greek is, he who is without this sin cast the first stone. See what Jesus did there? See what he did there? I love that. I see what he did. He took the light that he was and he shone it on them. And they said, oh, we ain't playing that game. I'm out. Because when you control the light, when you get to pick who you shine it on and who you don't shine it on, you always make sure it never gets on you. But that doesn't play in the kingdom of God. I, I couldn't think of a way to say this without sounding weird, but I'm just going to say it. Jesus is an equal opportunity exposer. Please don't tweet that. Because people will never come to our church, right? Like last week, somebody tweeted that Jesus looks good in a dress, because apparently I said that. And then this week, you'd be like, Jesus is an equal opportunity exposer. And they'd be like, I don't know what Jesus they're talking about, but not the one I know, right? So the men are leaving. The nature of light is to expose things. Jesus shines the light on all men. Their response to the light was to run. I want you to understand that. The light exposed them, but they didn't let it heal them. The end result is no fellowship, because you cannot have fellowship if you don't have the right preposition. Now, before we move on to the right preposition, let me just say for a second, one more time, I want to make sure you get this. If you and I walk with the light, we will never have unity. 
We will be religious. We will come to church. We will say all the right things. And at the end of the day, people will never want to come to the gathering because they know at the gathering, it's a really nice place until they turn the flashlight on and show everybody what's wrong with you. That's what happens when you walk with the light. Lives are destroyed, spirits are crushed, no one comes to Jesus. So what happens if you walk in the light? What if you have the right preposition? If we refuse to walk with the light and we choose to walk in the light, here's what happens. We give up control because now the light shines on all of us. We become more concerned about being right before God than about being right before men. I know none of you struggle with this. Men, women can take a break. Men, I know none of you struggle with needing to be right all the time. None of us would ever drive around way too long, being way too lost, when we could just stop at a place and ask for directions. And we would have stopped at a place to ask directions if our wife wasn't the one to mention we should. Right? If it had been our idea, we would have stopped. And we were even going to stop. We were going to pull over at the next stoplight and ask for directions. And she had to open her mouth and say, well, you should stop and ask for directions. And we went. I ain't going to do it now. So I just want to make sure that I'm talking to people that understand what we're talking about. We have a need to be right before men. But that's not what it's about. My greatest need is to be right before God. And the only way for me to be right before God is for the light of the world to shine on me. I posted something the other day about people that turn their brights on when I go running. It's becoming a pet peeve of mine, and I hope the day never comes that I have to ask the church to forgive me for making hand motions while I run. But it's just like, I got... I got this awesome gift that the PARS gave me. It's a Rudolph vest, and you put it on, and you turn it on, and it's these LED lights, and they just blink, 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 blink. Like, I have seizures running because it's just, you know, blinking all the time. But, I mean, you can't miss it unless you're texting. But you can't miss it. I mean, especially when I'm running at 5 in the morning and it's dark, and you come up over the hill, and for half a mile, all you see is, what is that blinking thing? And so runners were running, and so drivers, because they can't quite see us well enough, turn their brights on so they get a good look at us. While I'm trying to see the road in front of me and make sure I don't fall and twist an ankle, because I can't see squat if you got your brights on. So I'm just going to use the form that I have now to say, people are people. If you dim your lights to respect the driver, we can't see either if you put your brights on. And it's a little bit like it is with Jesus. I want you to get this, not that we like to be blinded, but if Jesus shines the light on me, all of us together, if I'm in his light, guess what I can't see? You. So people that are really busy correcting everybody else, I just gotta say, are you in the light? Because when I'm in the light, I have a hard time seeing everybody else. I'm a little too busy asking Jesus to make me right with him. So what do we do? Do we just let people do whatever they want? Make mistakes, sin, get away with it? What do we do? 
I mean, I think we all know that's not the answer, right? So what's another benefit of living in the light? Living in the light, we find ourselves much more qualified to help others deal with their sin. Remember that verse we read in Matthew? Matthew 7, 3, where he said, look, take care of the stuff in your own eye before anything else. What does he say at the end of that? Matthew chapter 7, verse 5, after we have taken care of our stuff. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Verse 3, then verse 4, he says, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? I love the imagery here, right? It's like, I'm going to see any of us going to the hospital to get surgery. And right before they put the mask on and tell us to count backwards from 10, the doctor says, wait, I can't see a thing. Not a lot of peace there. Right? Wait, is it the left leg? It's actually my shoulder. Right? I mean, Jesus is saying, why would, how in the world could you ever help somebody if you have not been helped first? This is biblical proof of the oxygen mask on the parent before the child on the airplane. You've got to be healed first before you can heal. But once that's taken place, once we've said, okay, I'm in the light, God. Search me and know me. I'm in the light. See if there's any offensive way in me. Heal me, God. I'm in the light. Once that happens, what does he say to do? Verse 5, you hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Listen, I'm never going to be the guy that says you shouldn't be in people's business. Because according to that scripture, we're supposed to be. But there's a way that we're supposed to be in people's business, right? Way after we've let God take care of us. So that we can see clearly. Remember, one of the most horrifying things I ever did, and I mean no offense to people here who are getting up in age, but one of the most horrifying events of my childhood was when my grandma picked me up from middle school because she couldn't see. And she was driving an Omni. Very small car, we will all die. And you couldn't tell her she couldn't see because she would tell you that she could and be talking to you like this while she's driving and then she's definitely not seeing. It was just buckle up and hang on. You don't want people that can't see taking your life into their hands. Walking in the light allows us to be healed first. It allows us to see clearly so that we can, in fact, help others. We are all supposed to be doing a little bit of speck removal. But only after we've allowed Jesus to take care of the stuff that's in us that's far worse than what's in somebody else. What's the biggest payoff to walking in the light instead of with the light? The biggest payoff is fellowship. One of the things that most of our community group, groups will experience over time, and I, I hear this from the leaders. Um, I heard it from you know, Larry and Carol this week. We were talking about this, and we love this. Most all of the community groups at some point during a community group cycle will experience a night where people just start sharing. And they're just, at the end of the night, they're kind of like, I don't, I don't know what made me say all that. But I just said it. And you know what happens at the end of those nights? People don't walk out like this. They walk, they don't even want to walk out. They just stay and talk and like, God, God, I didn't have, I had no idea that you've been through that. I went through that. And suddenly it's like, 
You know, one of our core four values is unbreakable unity. The unbreakable body of Christ. That's how you get unbreakable. Is the light exposes everybody equally. And everybody starts saying, oh God, please fix me, heal me, forgive me. And then they start to share in the group what they're going through. And everybody's like, oh wow. And this just solidifies a body. People do not become unified because of events. That only last for a while. I have had the same experience with a lot of marathoners. And in the marathon, we were tight. In a half marathon one time, I watched a man run up the hill smoking a cigarette. We bonded. Because I heard these women next to him go, dude, we're trying to run a half marathon. Could you put the cigarette out? And I was, like, I don't smoke, but I was kind of like, man, if you can run a half marathon and smoke going uphill, smoke it. That's impressive. That's really impressive. So I was like, I don't do nicotine. <laughs> I mean, if you could stop us, freeze that moment and say, who's the smoker? That'd have been him, me. But there's a bonding there, right? There's like this shared experience, and maybe those women are somewhere still today talking about that jerk in D.C. that was running uphill smoking a cigarette trying to mess up my fresh air while I try to run around. Maybe they are. We have a shared experience, but you know what we don't have? Unity. We don't have unity. I'm not dying for that woman. I mean, I almost died because that guy was smoking a cigarette, or they almost died, but I'm not dying for her. We don't have unity. We just have a common experience. Look, a common experience will not make you unified with you. This group will not suddenly be tight with this group because you're sitting here and having a shared experience together. We get tight because we walk in the light. Daily, the other six days of the week, we sit on a couch, we talk about how the light is shining on us and we hate it and it's uncomfortable and I wish Jesus would leave me alone. And it's hard. And then somebody at the group says, it's funny you say that because just last year that's what I was struggling with. And you know what? You, you suddenly go, tell me about that. I want to know more. Help me. That's how you get fellowship. That's how you become unbreakable. It's a process that we can count on. If we walk in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. So here's the big idea for today. More bad poetry. Here we go. Walking in the light will keep relationships right. Walking in the light will keep relationships right. Let me just say the flip side of that. Walking with the light will destroy relationships. Wait, that doesn't run. We can't use that. But you know what I'm saying. I'm just being very, very transparent. If, if my dad was here, I would say the same thing. One of the things I just hated growing up with my dad, I felt like he was always looking for me to, find, to do something wrong. Now, now that I'm older and have teenagers, and they kind of feel that way too, I suddenly realized most teenagers feel that way about their parents. Is that fair to say? Like, they never tell me I do it right. They always tell me I do it wrong. And then the parents are like, no, 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 no. We, we, tell, you, we tell you when you do things right. You just don't ever do things right. But, you know, none of us like that feeling, do we? Unless you're just weird, and I'm okay saying that. None of us like that feeling of being watched all the time. Kind of makes you paranoid. You start to twitch a little bit. It's weird. If we feel that way in the body, 
We'll never have fellowship. Walking in the light will keep relationships right because it keeps us humble. Because we keep pointing back to Jesus. Because the more that we're around each other, you start going, I mean, like, he's my pastor? Wow. God must be real. If God can save Paul, he can save me. If God can use Paul, he can use me. It just brings everybody to the same level playing field. And nobody gets to stand up and say, all of you are stupid. You're lucky to have me. I can save you all. Nobody gets to do that. Because then we just say, no, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're, shining. You're walking with the light. Let me take your light from you and we'll give it back to Jesus. And suddenly we see, oh, you're not who we thought you were. You're just like us. Jesus can save you too. That's the key to using the right preposition. So now, um, hopefully, we all have the same question rolling around our heads and we're all almost done. That wasn't the question. Are we almost done? Sorry. The question I hope that we all have rolling around our head is, how do I know if I'm living with the right preposition? I mean, do you see at least the difference, right? What it means to walk with the light, what it means to walk in the light? So here's how we know, okay? One simple test, one simple question. I'm going to say a statement. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to look at me and listen to me, okay? We've got lots of distractions in the room, but I want to make sure you get this. Because if you get it, you're either going to fall on your face and repent, or you're going to storm the stage and kill me. If you sit there and stare like an idiot, you didn't hear me. Okay? Because this is as clear as it can be. How do you know which preposition you're, you're living with? Here's how you know. While I've been teaching, yay for these last 20 minutes or so, while I've been teaching, what have you been thinking about during the message? That you need this teaching or that someone else in the room does? And if, if we hear a message like this and say, I'm so glad that today God ordained that we would be in 1 John talking about personal relationships because that person over there needs to hear this. You, my friend, are walking with the light. And I'll go so far as to say what John said when he wrote the book, that if you're walking with the light, you don't have fellowship with one another. And if you don't have fellowship with one another, you don't know Jesus. And I didn't say that. It's just in this book we're reading. So the only option is that we repent. Because as long as our response to light is to point a finger at the other people we are nothing but a room full of believers wearing I'm with stupid t-shirts. And we'll never have the fellowship that John writes about. We must repent. We must be reconciled first to God and then to one another. 1 John 1.9 is clear. We've read this last week. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We are reconciled back to God, right? Isn't that great news? I love that. But you can't stop there. We can't stop there because Matthew 5, 23, 24 says about our relationships here. He says, 
If you're at the altar and you realize that someone has something against you, stop! Like God would step into this place and say, stop! Away from me with the noise of your songs. Don't sing anymore. Stop worshiping me. And you know what's a big deal when God says stop worshiping him, right? Stop worshiping me and first go and make it right. Go be reconciled to your brother. And then come back and let's worship. Any service that we offer to God. I thought about this. Eight of us from this church are going to get on a plane Thursday. And we're going to go to India. It's going to be awesome. 11, 12 people, I can't remember now, I tried to count why they came in, got in a, a baptism and we baptized them today. And now the orange pool is gunky. But whatever. We'll clean it out for next time. We dedicate babies. I mean, there's a lot of activity today that's about kingdom work. But you know, the sad thing is, if we don't get the one-on-one -on -one stuff, the one-another stuff right, everything we're doing is for what reason? We walk in the light. You're here for the first time and you're like, dang, this church is jacked up. Preacher's tick, man. He's letting them have it today. No, we're just walking through 1 John. He talks about loving one another. He talks about walking in the light. And maybe we are jacked up. We're honest. I want the light of Jesus in my life to purify me. I want to stand right before God so I can stand right with you. So does it feel risky to reconcile ourselves to one another? Yeah. Uh -huh. um, is it something that we should still do? Yeah, probably so. It's a little bit, it's, um, you know, there's levels of discomfort. There's the third grader who's afraid of the girl that he likes. And so he writes, so do you like me? Check yes, no, or maybe. And hands it to her, her friend's friend, friend to give to the friend, to the friend to her. Because he can't walk up and do it himself. Y'all never did that? Have I shared too much? Okay. Hmm. That's how I proposed to Wendy. Is that not how you do it? I'm so confused. But, see, y'all are laughing because you don't know if it's true. It's not, but, but that's what third graders do, right? But adults, what do adults do? <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> hey, go, go ask her to ask her to ask him if they're mad at me. <laughs> okay. The answer is yes. Right? Which is why you're asking her to ask her to ask him, right? So what do adults do, man? Adults just go, this is what First John says. If I'm walking in the light, God's going to expose things in me, and I'm going to ask him to forgive me, and I just, I feel like I need to come make it right with you now, too. You don't have to have a soundtrack for it. You don't have to have violin music, nothing. You just actually just go do it. It gets easier as you do it. You can ask my wife, and you can ask my kids, and they would tell you the truth unless they're lying. No pressure. I mean, I, they, they, nobody in our household says I'm sorry more than me. And it's not because they're not willing to say it. It's just because I mess up way more than they do. You just do it because the relationship matters. 
And because you can't follow Jesus and not make it right with men. Unless you're walking with the light. Is it worth the risk to keep unity and have fellowship with one another? 100% absolutely yes. And is it because this is the worst church in America? No. It's because people in this church are breathing. Do you know why there are so many love one another verses in the Bible? Somebody say why. Because it's just the way it is. It's just real life. I told Jay this before we got started this morning. I have loved reading 1 John. And then we'll wrap up with this and be done. And here's what I think about with 1 John when I read it. One thing I told you this last week when we did our overview. 1 John's one of the last letters that was written. It's, it's one of the last letters that John ever wrote. And so John's older. He's like sitting down with your grandpa having a conversation. And he's a lot like my dad is right now. Who the, the older you get, the more you reminisce, the more you want to talk about the good times, the more you just want to get along and love each other. And so all the things that were a big deal to my dad when I was a teenager, not such a big deal now. And it's not because he's mellowed out or gotten worse. It's because he's like John. The longer that you live, John's like, listen, everybody come close. I've only got time to tell you one or two more things. And here's the most important. Just love one another. Yeah, but, 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 but you don't know what they did. No, 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 I do know what they did. And more importantly, Jesus does because he's the light and we're all walking in the light. Just love each other. But, oh, but God, then, then I don't think I can. Then you don't know Jesus. And that might tick a lot of people off, but nobody's punching Grandpa. And, and if they do, I'm not coming to your family for dinner, right? Because people that live long enough, they just get wisdom. And they just have this awesome way of saying, you know, I know that seems like it's really important right now, but it's not. What's important is love one another. And if you walk in the light, as he is in the light, you will have fellowship with one another. It's the only way to truly walk in unity. Because walking in the light will keep relationships right.